This is episode 345 of the AWS podcast, released on November 28, 2019. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lisher here with you. Great to have you back and I am here with you with an update show and this is probably the biggest update show I've ever recorded. We have got well over 200 different items to talk about. Now you'll notice I'm writing solo. That's because Nikki Stone is deep in preparations for reInvent. She has some pretty amazing things happening during that week so she needs to dedicate all her time to that. So I'll be guiding you through the update show today and we'll be Taking really a a high-level view at most of the updates just for time's sake. However, there's a few that we'll dive deep into as well. So without any further ado, let's start with storage. Amazon CloudFront now has 200 locations with new edge locations in Colombia, Chile and Argentina. And it's also reduced prices in South America by 56%. So you'll see far better performance. In fact, you're seeing a uh, on average 60% improvement in latency in those regions and also a price drop as well, which is in effect from the 1st of November 2019. The AWS for WordPress plugin is now available and has a new Amazon CloudFront workflow, which makes it easy to deliver your WordPress sites in a performant way. AWS Backup is now available in six more regions across Asia Pacific, the Europe, Middle East, Africa and the Americas as well. So it is now also available in uh, Mumbai, Hong Kong, Paris, Stockholm, Bahrain and Sao Paulo. Now, this is a centralised managed service to backup data across AWS services in the cloud and on-premises using Storage Gateway. So really useful if you're doing lots of backups and protection. It's available now in 18 different AWS regions. The Data Lifecycle Manager now supports tags to adding uh, tags, I should say, to the lifecycle policy, which means you can now understand uh, where those policies belong. Tagging is always a good thing. Amazon S3 Inventory now reports intelligent tiering access tier for objects. So this allows you to understand uh, which intelligent tiering storage class the objects belong in or are in. And this allows you to understand what the access patterns have resulted in so you can make assessments in your environment very, very easily. Great new update. And a lot of these storage updates were in our storage special from our AWS storage day. That's the previous episode to this one. However, I'll run through them really quickly. Amazon S3 replication time control is now available. So this gives you predictable replication time backed with an SLA, which is very exciting. AWS Snowball Edge now supports volume sizes of up to 10 terabytes. This is 10 times bigger than the previous limit of one terabyte. Amazon EFS now supports AWS Private Link. And EFS also now supports a seven-day lifecycle management policy. So this means it'll automatically move files that haven't been accessed for seven days into EFS infrequent access and save you up to 92% of your storage costs. There were, of course, a whole lot of updates for Amazon FSx for Windows File Server, including data deduplication, a reduction in storage costs by 50 to 60%, uh, user storage quotas, more monitoring, enforcement of in-transit encryption, the ability to manage via PowerShell, also support for high availability Microsoft SQL Server deployments, reduction of the minimum file system down to 32 gig, and file systems that span multiple availability zones. Also updates for the AWS Storage Gateway, improving performance and high availability. The other update in the EBS world is the availability of EBS Fast Snapshot Restore, which means you can now restore your data much more quickly than ever before. In fact, volumes created from fast snapshot restore enabled snapshots are fully initialized upon creation and immediately deliver all provision performance, which is very nice. Let's move on to compute. The Amazon Elastic Container Service now publishes multiple GitHub actions. So now you can deploy to ECS from within a GitHub repository through the new ECS starter workflow on GitHub actions. So this means whenever new code is pushed into a repository, the workflow builds and deploys it to AWS using four new actions that are available in the marketplace. This basically means you can automate your entire process as much as you like, and automation is a good thing. The ECS Container Instances Monitoring is now also available in Amazon CloudWatch Container Insights. So now you can monitor, isolate, and diagnose performance impacting your ECS Container Instances. Now this automates the collection of 15 new CloudWatch custom metrics, things like CPU, memory, file system, network utilization, et cetera, for your uh, ECS instances. It also summarizes the metrics into a ECS instances dashboard so you can improve your overall cluster performance. 
you can improve app resilience and availability and it makes troubleshooting much more easy. ECS patterns are also generally available in the AWS Cloud Development Kit, the CDK. So this means you can deploy ECS patterns into your CloudFormation stacks automatically very, very easily. Update for the Amazon Elastic Container Registry. There is now general availability of the image scanning capability. Image scanning is an automated vulnerability assessment feature in ECR that helps improve the security of your application's container images by scanning them for a broad range of operating system vulnerabilities. Now you can enable image scans on push for your repositories to enable every time an image is automatically checked against an aggregated set of CVEs. And it means you could also automate the responses to this as well. So this is super powerful, very, very important to use. ECR events are now also published to EventBridge. So now you can use that as a mechanism to better integrate your application CICD processes into the container world. And you can push events all around and have it trigger different actions, et cetera. So it could be things like starting a deployment, um, stopping a particular event. You could post messages to Slack, Chime or a Teams room, et cetera. Lots of options for automation. Another really important change is updates to the Amazon EC2 instance metadata service. We've introduced an enhancement for instance metadata across requests that adds defense in depth against unauthorized metadata access. You can configure the instance metadata service to require this feature on both new and running instances. Additionally, you can choose to turn off access to instance metadata altogether. Now, these enhancements are now available in all commercial regions. There's some great information in the user guide about all the different use cases and uh, situations that they're protecting against, so definitely worth diving deep on that one. There are now some new instance sizes for Amazon EC2 C5D instances. So these are available now in 12x large, 24x large, and bare metal. Now, these offer high-speed local NVMe-based SSD block-level storage, physically connected to the host server, and are powered by custom second generation Intel scalable processors, the Cascade Lake generation. This has a sustained all core turbo frequency of 3.6 gig and maximum single core turbo frequency of 3.9 gigahertz. These also provide support for the new Intel Vector Neural Network Instructions or AVX512VNNI, which help speed up typical machine learning operations like convolution and will automatically improve performance over a wide range of deep learning workloads. The Amazon EC2 G4 instances with NVIDIA T4 Tensor Core GPUs are now available in two additional regions, being Stockholm and Sao Paulo. And the EC2 G4 instances are also available in further regions, including Canada Central, Paris, Mumbai, Singapore, Sydney, GovCloud US West. So they're up to 15 different regions that have these available to them. And these are really useful for a whole raft of different machine learning and application uh, type uh, use cases and are really nice from a performance perspective. Also, we're also announcing the availability of the Amazon EC2 F1 instances in the Sydney region. So this is if you're doing something for uh, in the field programmable gate array or FPGA world. Uh, so things like big data analytics, genomics, electronic design automation is a big one. Uh, they're available in Sydney now as well. The Amazon Linux 2 AMI with .NET Core has been updated to .NET Core 3. So you can get the latest and greatest version. EC2 now also supports Microsoft SQL Server 2019. So this is the latest release of Microsoft SQL Server. When you run SQL Server 2019 on Amazon EC2, you get the benefits of scale, performance, and elasticity of the AWS cloud, whilst the getting the latest feature sets of Microsoft SQL Server 2019, things like enhanced polybase and intelligent query processing. You could also deploy SQL Server 2019 always on availability groups across multiple AZs for enhanced availability. The EC2 team have been hard at work and they've made it easier for customers to discover and compare EC2 instance types. So now you have additional ways to discover those based on CPU, memory, storage, network performance, regional presence, pricing, and more. This is a new instance type section in the EC2 console that lets you do easier filtering and searching. There's also two new APIs, describe instance types and describe instance types offerings. So you can do it programmatically as well. Amazon EC2 autoscaling now lets you include instance weights in your autoscaling groups. So this means when you use this, you can set the desired capacity for the ASG in the units of your choice, like virtual CPUs, memory storage, throughput, or even a relative performance for an instance type. And the weight you specify for an instance type is the number of units that the instance type represents towards the desired capacity. This means you have more control over where you send your traffic to and which instance types sort of gravitate towards that particular autoscaling group. 
In addition, you can now safely and securely recycle instances in an auto-scaling group at a regular cadence. The maximum instance lifetime parameter helps you ensure that instances are recycled before reaching the specified lifetime. This is a really handy way to adhere to your security compliance and performance requirements. You can either create a new ASG or update an existing one to include the maximum lifetime value of your choice between seven and 365 days. This is a great way to really treat your um, instances as ephemeral. You know, if, if, if they're ephemeral, they're stateless, they should be able to go away and come back. You want to do that on, on a regular basis because rebuilding them means they're nice and fresh and they definitely haven't had any issues on them. AWS Batch now supports GPU scheduling on G3, G3S and G4 instance families. So you have more capability if you're doing those big batch jobs. And we now also support automated draining for spot instance nodes on Kubernetes. So this is the AWS node termination handler, and this makes it easy to take advantage of your cost savings and performance boost offered by EC2 spot instances on your Kubernetes cluster whilst gracefully handling the EC2 spot instance termination. Now, you know, I'm a big fan of the uh, EC2 spot instances because you get up to a 90% discount compared to on-demand prices. Now, of course, these can be interrupted by spot instance interruptions with a two-minute warning. The node termination handler provides a connection between termination requests from AWS infrastructure to Kubernetes nodes, means you can gracefully drain and terminate those nodes that get that interruption. You can now create serverless applications with an automated deployment pipeline from the AWS Lambda console. So you can immediately define and deploy using the serverless application model. You can do this straight from the console and it lets you create, based on a quick start template, a source repository that tracks code changes, a build and packaging processing for code and dependencies, and an automated release pipeline. You can also view your deployment status alongside operational metrics. It gives you a holistic view of your environment. AWS Elastic Beanstalk has added support for PHP 7.3 and .NET Core 3.0. So if you're using those, you now get that out of the box. And the Amazon Elastic Inference has introduced new accelerators with higher GPU memory. Now this gives you up to eight gig of GPU memory. And you can now use this for larger models or models that have larger input sizes for image processing, object detection, etc. And this allows you to attach just the right amount of GPU-powered acceleration to any EC2 instance and take advantage of it as you need. Now you can choose up to three different accelerator types, 2 gig, 4 gig, and 8 gig of GPU memory. AWS Batch has also introduced some new allocation strategies. So now you can specify how you want to allocate your compute resources. You can make trade-offs uh, between different strategies and use the appropriate one in your particular environment. So you can choose to have ones that are tolerant of spot interruptions, that are, that are fault tolerant. You can have ones that optimise the capacity. You can have ones that optimise for availability. Really, you have many choices there. Update for AWS OpsWorks for Chef Automate. It now supports custom domains, so you can have your own CNAME if you need it. And AWS Lambda now supports Amazon SQS first in, first out as an event source. It's supported SQS normal, if you like, or natural uh, for a long time, but it now supports FIFO as well. Moving on to network. The Elastic Fabric Adapter is now compatible with the Intel MPI library. So this means you can now do a MPI communication across the EFAs, which is very powerful for HPC type workloads. Bring your own IP for VPC is now available in five additional regions. So Mumbai, Sydney, Tokyo, Singapore, Sao Paulo are added to Dublin, London, Frankfurt, uh, Canada, North Virginia, Ohio, and Oregon regions. So you can bring your own IP into those environments. And the AWS Global Accelerator now supports EC2 instance endpoints. So now you can go directly from the Global Accelerator to the EC2 endpoints without having to have a load balancer in between. Amazon Route 53 now supports overlapping namespaces for private hosted zones. So this is really useful if uh, one of these hosted zones is a subdomain of the other. So for example, you've got acme.amazon.com and example.com. You can overlap those namespaces and manage them much more easily. So if you have independent teams managing those spaces, you can do that now. So that separation of duties comes in as well. And application load balancer, the ALB, now supports weighted target groups routing. So with this launch, you're able to do weighted routing of the traffic forwarded by rule to multiple target groups. This means you can do things like blue-green deployments, canary deployments, and hybrid deployments without the need for multiple load balancers even enables zero downtime migration between on-premises and cloud and between different compute types like EC2 and Lambda. So this gives you huge flexibility in terms of providing a smooth deployment path. Moving on to databases, Amazon DynamoDB Adaptive Capacity now handles imbalanced workloads better by isolating frequently accessed items automatically. 
So if your application drives disproportionately high traffic to one or more items, DynamoDB will rebalance your partitions so that they don't reside on the same partition, so that that hotspot gets taken away. This is really nice because it starts to move it away from uh, the inefficiency rather than making you have to dial up the provision throughput to cope with the inefficiency. You can now configure table settings when you restore a table from your Amazon DynamoDB backups. So you can specifically exclude some or all of the local and global secondary indexes from being created in the restored table. You can also change the billing mode and the provision capacity settings as well. The NoSQL Workbench for Amazon DynamoDB has had an update, which is support for DynamoDB Local. Now, this is a client-side application that lets you build scalable high-performance data models, makes it easier to build your queries for testing, etc. I'm a big fan. You can now use it with the DynamoDB Local capability as well. You can easily deploy SQL Server always on solutions using the new AWS Launch Wizard for SQL Server. This will let you deploy it out of the box using the wizard rather than having to write a whole lot of CloudFormation or use a pre-existing solution. And Amazon Elastic Cache now supports T3 standard cache nodes as well. These are really useful for a baseline level of CPU performance with the ability to burst CPU usage at any time. They offer generational advances in CPU performance that enable a higher overline baseline performance threshold over the previous generation T2 cache nodes. Amazon Elastic Cache now supports online data migration from Redis on Amazon EC2. So if you're doing self-hosted Redis and you want to move into a fully managed Elastic Cache cluster, essentially Elastic Cache will replicate the data from your cluster in real time into your newly created Elastic Cache cluster. Once the data sync is complete, you can update your client applications to start using your newly populated Elastic Cache cluster. There have been a whole bunch of updates in the RDS world, so I'm going to whip through them really quickly so that you can see if there's something that piques your interest that you want to dive deeper on. Amazon RDS Performance Insights now supports counter metrics on Amazon RDS for SQL Server. RDS for Oracle now supports Oracle Database 19C. RDS for Oracle Z1 instances are now available in additional regions so that Z1 deployment also ties into the RDS deployment. And RDS for Oracle now adds support to invoke EMCTL commands for Oracle Enterprise Manager Cloud Control. Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports R5 and T3 instance types, so you get more choice. For example, the R5 instance types give you 50% more vCPUs and 60% more memories when compared to the previous R4 instances. And Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports outbound network access. So this removes the dependency for linked servers to be joined within a VPC. Linked servers can now have traffic configured from an RDS for SQL Server instance in AWS directing traffic to an on-premise or EC2 SQL Server instance as well. Amazon RDS for PostgreSQL now supports customer-initiated snapshot upgrades. So now you can perform both minor and major version upgrades of PostgreSQL instance snapshots. Postgres 12.0 is now available in Amazon RDS database preview environment. So if you want to play with that new version, you get a whole bunch of new functionality, performance, different ways of managing indexing, etc. So you've got that in your preview environment now that you can uh, experiment with. RDS for Postgres also now supports user authentication with Kerberos and Microsoft Active Directory as well. So you have uh, better integration into your centralized uh, accreditation store. Amazon DocumentDB with MongoDB compatibility now has support for change streams. So this allows you to have access to a time-ordered sequence of update events that occur within your clusters, collections, and databases. You can read from the change stream to implement use cases such as change notifications, cross-region replication, full-text search with the Amazon Elasticsearch service, or analytics with Redshift, and many, many more. Amazon Aurora now supports cost allocation for tags for Aurora storage, so you can keep track of what's going on from a storage layer. And Amazon Aurora MySQL 5.7 now expands the list of supported features to improve performance and manageability. So starting today, things like uh, invoking AWS Lambda functionality, hot row contention, backtrack and hash joins will be available with the 5.7 compatibility edition. And it also includes uh, enhancements like JSON support, spatial indexes and generated columns. Another update for DynamoDB, you can now benefit from the 99.999% DynamoDB availability SLA by adding global table replicas to your existing single region tables with just a few clicks on the console. Previously, you could only create new DynamoDB tables. Now you can create them with existing data. And a couple more updates for RDS for Oracle. It now supports allowed logon version server and allowed logon version client parameters. And it also supports the October 2019 Oracle patch set updates and release updates from a security perspective. Moving on to developer tools. 
AWS AppSync now adds real-time enhancements with pure WebSocket support for GraphQL subscriptions. So AppSync is a managed GraphQL service that makes it much easier to set up that type of environment. Now you can take advantage of pure WebSockets as a new protocol option to communicate in real time with connected clients. Now the new protocol supports a higher maximum payload. You get up to 240K versus 128K. Enhanced connection and broadcast rates. You also get CloudWatch metrics, selection set filtering for GraphQL subscriptions, etc. Now, both the new and existing AppSync APIs support the Pure WebSockets protocol, and MQTT over WebSockets is also available, but the new protocol is our recommended option going forward. AppSync also adds client-side caching and DynamoDB transaction support for the GraphQL API, so you can get access to them straight out of the box. And an update for AWS Amplify Console, it now has pull request previews for full-stack serverless applications. So now this is a way for development and QA teams to preview changes before merging code into production or an integration branch as well. And more tools for builders. AWS Code Commit enables enforcing approval rule workflows for pull requests. So now you can block merging pull requests until specified rules are met. Previously, you could only block it through custom IAM permissions. Now you can create a approval rule specifically for a pull request. So this is really useful if you have manual checks and other types of validations. AWS CodeBuild now has support for ARM, GPU, and X-Large compute types. So you can take advantage of those different platforms for the different types of builds you might want to do. And AWS Code Pipeline now enables passing variables between actions at execution time. So previously there was no first-class support for passing metadata between actions during an execution. You can now dynamically configure your actions with variables that will be evaluated at execution time. So this is a big step forward. There are also now notifications for AWS Code Commit, Code Build, Code Deploy, and Code Pipeline. So you can get notifications about the events in repositories, build projects, deployments, etc. Each notification will include a status message as well as a link to the resource whose event generated that notification. And of course, it comes from our old friend SNS as well. Now there's a new SDK. This is the AWS Step Functions for Data Science SDK for Amazon SageMaker. And this is an open source library that allows you to easily create workflows that pre-process data and then train and publish machine learning models using Amazon SageMaker and AWS Step Functions. You can create machine learning workflows in Python that orchestrate AWS infrastructure at scale without having to provision and integrate the services separately. So this is a really interesting step forward. I'm fascinated to see what our customers do with this one. AWS CodeBuild now has support for AWS Secrets Manager, so you can use this to pass credentials into your build jobs. This can be achieved by specifying the secrets directly in your build spec or as environmental variables in your CodeBuild project. Now, this is really important because it lets you protect the secrets needed to access your applications, services, and resources, and it handles the rotation, management, and retrieval of database credentials, API keys, etc., throughout the lifecycle, and it avoids you having to hard code those things, which is a good thing. The Amplify CLI, which is a, an open source project for building cloud-enabled mobile and web applications, now enables the creating of Amazon Cognito user pool groups, configuring fine-grained permissions on groups, and adding user management capabilities to applications. So you can get up and running very quickly. There's a whole blog post about this, so it's a really good accelerant. And AWS CodeStar now enables automating tool chain setup through CloudFormation. So now you can create CodeStar projects using the publicly available CodeCommit and GitHub CloudFormation resources. You can also create the initial commit for your repository through CloudFormation. So in the past, there wasn't an easy way to replicate the provisioning resourcing that uh, CodeStar does. Now you can provision the entire tool chain just using the CloudFormation template. The AWS Tools for PowerShell now has a new modular variant, AWS.Tools, with a separate module for each AWS service. Previously, you had to install all services in one large module. Now you can break them up and have a smaller memory footprint. So this is now generally available with the version 4.0. AWS X-Ray offers improved trace analysis for identification of service disruption. So this allows you to use trace maps to quickly understand the path and order of services invoked in a single request and figure out any upstream or downstream calls for services. And it now allows you to visually identify where an error originated and how it might have affected other services in the call. Now, while you're previously able to use the trace timeline to understand where time is being spent, and to get details of each call, trace maps will make it much easier for you to understand at a glance which service is leading to errors, faults, or increased latency. Another new SDK, the Amazon Chime SDK, is now available for embedding real-time communications in applications. So this lets you add audio calling, video calling, and screen sharing capabilities to your applications. Moving on to the topic of analytics. 
EMR now supports record level insert, update and delete on Amazon S3. Now this is because release 5.28.0 now supports Amazon Hoodie, I hope I'm saying that right, which is an incubating project that allows this capability, so now you have access to it. EMR also now has one-click access to persistent Spark History Server. So the Spark History Server is an extension of the Apache Spark user web interface. Uh, it gives you a visual interface with detailed information about completed and running Spark jobs on a cluster. Now you can dive into job-specific metrics and information about your scheduler stages, tasks, and running executors. EMR also now supports Git-based repositories and JupyterLab with EMR notebooks, so more integration there as well. Some updates for Amazon Redshift, it now supports changing table sort keys dynamically. So now you can add and change sort keys of an existing Redshift table without having to recreate the table. So this makes for a much better user experience. So this is the alter sort key command. And Redshift has also done a console refresh to improve management and monitoring of your data warehouse. So basically a spruce up to make it look better and easier to use. Uh, there's a new query editor. Uh, there's uh, less time required to drill down to visualize query performance, etc. A lot of customer feedback about it. So it'd be great to see uh, what you think uh, about the, the new console experience. And you can now also easily explore partner solutions that integrate with Redshift directly from the Redshift console using the Marketplace widget. Amazon Redshift also launched cross-instance restore. So now you can restore Redshift snapshots to clusters that are different sizes and running on different node types. So this simplifies the snapshot restore workflow and supports your evolving use cases if you need to make changes based upon your snapshots. And finally, Amazon Redshift Spectrum has launched in five additional AWS regions. So that includes Paris, Stockholm, Bahrain, Hong Kong, and the GovCloud US West region as well. A small but important update for Amazon Cloud Search now provides the option to mandate HTTPS and a minimum TLS version so you can make sure that you have your clients configured correctly and are adhering to your security requirements. AWS Lake Formation is now available in the Sydney, Singapore, Mumbai regions. And now this is a service that makes it easy to set up a secure data lake in just days. Now data lake is a centralized, curated and secured repository that stores all your data, both in its original form and prepared for analysis. Now, by using lake formation, it's as simple as defining where your data resides and what data access and security policies you want to apply. Then a whole lot of magic takes place under the covers and that's what saves you time. Amazon QuickSight has a bunch of updates including actions for dashboard interactivity, a UI-based ingestion history, uh, also a mobile experience, the cross-source join, and lots, lots more features. They've really been busy creating uh, some new things. They've also created uh, dashboard printing, QuickSight's also added API support for data, dashboard, spice, and permissions, so you can now programmatically control your environment. And there are now themes, conditional formatting, and a whole lot more in terms of customizing the look, feel, and corporate branding of your particular interface. So they've done a huge amount of work to make that experience really great. Some updates for AWS Glue. It now provides the ability to rewind job bookmarks for your Spark ETL jobs. So now you can have it track what's been processed and go back to a particular bookmark point in time. It now also supports the Find Matches ML Transform on Apache Spark 2.4.3. And we now have AWS Glue version 1.0 as well. Quick update for the Amazon Kinesis Producer Library or KPL. It now supports the List Shards API for efficient scaling of producer applications. So basically it means you can understand what's going on and scale much, much better. And a bonus Amazon Redshift update, they now support spatial data. So there's a new polymorphic data type called geometry. And this allows you to natively process spatial data. I know a lot of customers will be very excited about this because it supports things like point line string, polygon, multi-point, multi-line string, multi-polygon and geometry collection. And you can add these columns to your Redshift tables, write SQL queries spanning across spatial and non-spatial data. And there are now 40 new spatial SQL functions to construct geometric shapes, import, export, access, and process this data as well. Moving on to IoT. The IoT device management uh, capability there has new fleet level metrics, which gives you an enhanced querying experience. So you can find things like the min, max, sum, average, standard deviation, variance, sum of squares, metrics for all different kinds of device data. There's also a new device tester 1.5.0 for Amazon Free RTOS. And also there is now support for secure elements in Amazon Free RTOS as well. 
And finally, from an IoT perspective, the IoT device tester versus 2.1.0 for AWS Greengrass is now available, which gives you all the good stuff and supports qualification of AWS Greengrass devices with new ARM architectures. Moving on to the topic of customer engagement. Amazon Connect now launches tagging support for the user management API. So as we always talk about, tagging is good. So you can now tag uh, based upon particular lines of business, third-party outsources, et cetera. So you can use that to really implement a whole lot more security control in your environment. It also now has additional APIs to list contact center resources. So this includes things like the list queues API, which allows you to do things like uh, list phone numbers. You can uh, list a whole lot of other information. There's a whole API reference guide, great for programmatic control. Quick update for the Amazon Simple Email Service. It now supports FIPS 140-2 compliant endpoints, and it also is available in additional regions. It's available in the Mumbai, Sydney, and Frankfurt region, in addition to the Virginia and Oregon and Ireland regions as well. So if you need to um, have data residency requirements, this is the answer for you there. And a final update back to Amazon Connect. It now has launched a web and mobile chat for a true omni-channel contact center experience. Now, this is generally available and it basically allows your customers the ability to reach you by chat or by phone. Now, by using the same routing, configuration, analytics and management tools across voice and chat, Amazon Connect gives you a single unified contact center service across channels, which simplifies contact center operations, gives you better agent efficiency and lowers costs as well. Moving on to end-user compute, Amazon Chime has some updates. It now supports an in-room experience on Dolby Voice Room. So this allows you to take advantages of capabilities like dynamic leveling of soft voices, uh, removal of echo, background noise elimination, and video or whiteboard framing to deliver a high-quality experience for small to medium conference rooms. The Chime Voice Connector now adds the Oregon region and also has redundant call routing. And there is also now real-time audio streaming. Now, this means you can stream your business calls to the Amazon Kinesis video streams, or it can be accessed by applications that you build. An update for Amazon Workspaces, there is now a Workspaces directory API. This allows you to register your directories with Workspaces and to modify directory details. So this enables you to automate your workflows to avoid having to manually set up any of this information. Some great updates for Amazon AppStream 2.0. There is a self-guided workshop to build an application onboarding portal so it can step you through the processes you might want to do there. It also adds support for embedding streaming sessions within websites as well. So you can now stream your desktop applications to an iframe within your web pages. You can also customize user experience using the AppStream 2.0 Embed JS SDK. And finally, Amazon AppStream 2.0 now supports the EC2Z1D instances, which are very capable instance types that might suit your workloads, particularly if you're requiring a high amount of compute and high memory. So things like electronic design automation, gaming, and software with high per-core licensing costs really fit this environment. And a quick update for Alexa for business. You can now say, Alexa, I'm running late. And uh, this will inform meeting participants they're running late for a meeting or an event. And you can also specify how late you think you'll be. So it could be 10 minutes, et cetera. So this is quite a a nice little usability thing. Some fantastic updates in the area of machine learning. Amazon Transcribe now supports speech text in a whole raft of different languages. Let me give you the list of new ones. Irish English, Scottish English, Welsh English, Dutch, Farsi, Indonesian, Portuguese, Tamil, Gulf Arabic, Swiss German, Hebrew, Japanese, Malay, Telugu, and Turkish languages. So a great new list of languages added to the already extensive list that is there. Another capability in Amazon Transcribe that's just been released is alternative transcriptions. So what this means is you can specify that Amazon Transcribe returned additional transcriptions as well. You can use these alternative transcriptions to see different interpretations of the transcribed audio, giving you added optionality and flexibility to select the most suitable text results for your application. For example, in media asset management applications that enable users to review and splice together subtitles, users can now select from up to 10 alternative transcriptions. And alternative transcriptions are available across all languages supported by Amazon Transcribe. And the last Transcribe update that I'm very excited about is it also now supports Australian English speech to text in real time. So uh, as I always say, I'm getting closer and closer to being completely automated. So uh, I have to run this to see if it can uh, understand my crazy Australian accent. 
An update for Amazon Comprehend. It now also can understand six new languages. Now, Comprehend is a natural language processing service that uses machine learning to find insights and relationships inside text. Now, the new uh, languages that are provided, which have been highly requested by customers, include Chinese traditional, Chinese simplified, Korean, Hindi, Japanese, and Arabic. Amazon Polly also has an update, and Amazon Polly is a service you hear from every time you hear the podcast because, of course, the uh, announcement of the episode number and the date that it was released is by Polly. There is now a US Spanish and Brazilian Portuguese NTT voices, so these are neural TTS voices as well as standard TTS voices, and uh, they are called Lupe and Camilla. If you're a user of SageMaker, there is a new XG Boost algorithm available. So this gives you increased flexibility, scalability, and extensibility. And there's a new AWS Deep Learning AMI with Ubuntu 18.04, the Elastic Fabric Adapter Support, PyTorch 1.2, MXNet 1.5, and more. You should always be grabbing the latest and greatest version of that Deep Learning AMI. A couple of updates for Amazon Lex. It now supports sentiment analysis by natively integrating into Amazon Comprehend. So in the past, you would build that to show someone a fancy demonstration. Now you don't have to. It's built right in. And Lex is also now SOC compliant. And final update for machine learning, Amazon SageMaker GroundTruth now supports more refined access controls. So now you can set condition keys specific to Amazon SageMaker GroundTruth. Now this is using the condition element of an IAM policy to allow refinement of the conditions under which the policy statement applies. Moving on to application integration, AWS AppMesh now has increased default limits on several resources. The number of uh, virtual nodes per mesh uh, has increased from 20 to 200. The number of backends per node and dependent services increased from 25 to 50. The number of virtual routers up from 20 to 200. Uh, the number of routes per virtual router up from 20 to 50. So you can see it has scaled up. It also now supports HTTP2 and gRPC services as well. An update for Amazon SNS, it now adds support for dead letter queues. So this allows the capture of undeliverable messages. So if you sent something and it didn't get where it had to go, you now have a queue that you can query to see what it was. A couple of updates for Amazon API Gateway. You can now manage the gateway limits using AWS service quotas, and it also now supports wildcard custom domains. Moving on to management and governance. There is a new capability called savings plans, and this is a new flexible pricing model that allows customers to save up to 72% on Amazon EC2 and AWS Fargate in exchange for making a commitment to a consistent amount of compute usage, for example, $10 an hour for a one or three year term. With a savings plan, usage up to the commitment will be charged at the discounted savings plan rate and any usage beyond the commitment will be charged at the regular on-demand rate. Saving plans offer significant savings over on-demand, just like reserved instances, but automatically reduce customers' bills on compute usage across any AWS region and even as usage changes. This provides customers with the flexibility to use the compute option that best suits their needs and continue to save money all without having to perform any changes exchanges or modifications. AWS Systems Manager has introduced a whole bunch of really interesting changes. You can now use it to build and share standardized operational playbooks to ensure consistency across users, accounts, and AWS regions. And the ability to execute scripts and add wiki-style documentation, it means you can really reduce human error and you can eliminate those manual steps and just automate your processes. The AWS Systems Manager distributor also enables in-place update of software packages as well. So with this feature, you can avoid uninstalling your software during the update process, which enhances your security posture and availability. Really exciting update for AWS CloudFormation. It now supports resource import. Yes, that is right. You can now bring your existing AWS application resources into CloudFormation. So with this launch, you can start managing existing resources such as Amazon S3 buckets or DynamoDB tables with all the benefits of CloudFormation, regardless of how they were created or managed previously. And you can now leverage automation at scale with these resources instead of relying on manual processes or maintaining custom scripts. You can also refactor existing CloudFormation stacks and rename CloudFormation resources. For example, you can now modify what resources are grouped together during CloudFormation updates. So this is very exciting. Lots of information available in the documentation for this one. There are now also a whole raft of updates in terms of CloudFormation for Amazon API Gateway, Code Pipeline, Amplify, Elasticsearch, AppMesh, and many, many more. So lots more capabilities there. 
Amazon CloudWatch metric math now supports additional functions. So you now have access to functions such as sort, slice, remove empty, and various conditional statements. So this means you can create really effective graphs and visualizations in your environment. The AWS Cost Explorer now supports hourly and resource level granularity. So this lets you visualize your environment very, very easily up to the last uh, 14 days. And you can also track nights, off-peak hours, etc. This is a really useful capability and ties into the savings plan so you can get an understanding of what your utilization looks like and then you can apply the lowest possible cost to that. AWS Config has added support for KMS and the Elasticsearch service. So it'll automatically record the history of any configuration changes to those particular resource types, which with KMS is particularly important. There is a new preview for the AWS CLI. This is the AWS CLI V2 preview and it includes AWS single sign-on integration so that you can now sign into the CLI using credentials you manage in AWS SSO or Microsoft Active Directory. This release includes automatic short-term credential rotation, which means that developers can take full advantage of CLI profiles to switch between roles, which increases your security posture and developer productivity. It's a pretty nifty update. Amazon CloudWatch has also launched cross-account, cross-region dashboards. There's a lot of crossing going on. This enables you to create high-level operational dashboards with one click, drill down into more specific dashboards in different AWS accounts without having to log in and out of different accounts or switch AWS regions. So this is intended for centralized operations teams, DevOps engineers, and service owners who need to monitor, troubleshoot, and analyze applications running in multiple regions and accounts. There's a new single-click setup feature for AWS Systems Manager agents to keep them automatically updated. In a single click, you can now set all of those agents in your fleet to update automatically to the agent's latest version. So this uh, keeps everything up to date, which is a posture you'd probably want to have. A new capability for AWS Service Catalog, it now enables you to transfer provisioned product ownership. So this lets administrators and team members change the ownership of their provisioned products. So when a team member's or responsibilities change, ownership of their provisioned product can easily be transferred to a new team member or role. An update to AWS License Manager and now helps you easily identify Windows and SQL Server license included instances. So this lets you filter your, your search results based on whether you're using BYOL instances, license included instances, and this is available for the Windows Server Data Center Edition, SQL Server Enterprise Edition, SQL Server Standard Edition, and the SQL Server Web Edition products. Amazon Managed Services or AMS now has support for landing zones. So we talked about uh, landing zones earlier on. So the managed services can support that as well as 29 additional new services. These include things like Certificate Manager, Code Commit, all the CodeStar stuff, License Manager, Snowball, Comprehend, Athena, Transit Gateway, Web Application, Firewall, just to name a few. It also has added developer mode to accelerate migrations. So what this means is that AWS API access is now available in AWS managed services accounts. Now, because AMS operates AWS on your behalf, providing a secure and compliant AWS landing zone, a proven operating model and day-to-day -day infrastructure management, it was difficult in the past to give developers that native AWS access. However, with this feature, you're given elevated IAM permissions to iterate quickly on designs and configurations using the console and the APIs. Once the designs are finalized, you can test your application deployments, within the same account before promoting your finalized CloudFormation template into your production accounts. Now, to help protect you from harmful configurations, AMS has hardened the role to prevent changes to core account configurations that are managed by AMS and has deployed a growing number of detective guardrails to monitor and automatically remediate known issues. And finally, AMS now also supports SUSE Linux Enterprise Server 12 SP4, which a lot of enterprises like to use. AWS Service Catalog has uh, two new connectors, one for Jira Service Desk and a connector for ServiceNow that now supports budget integration and has FIPS endpoints as well. The AWS Cost Explorer monthly forecast now include the support costs as well, so you can uh, understand what those expected costs look like from a forecasting perspective. AWS CloudTrail now has CloudTrail Insights. Now this is a new CloudTrail feature that lets customers identify unusual activity in their AWS accounts, such as spikes in resource provisioning, bursts of IAM actions or gaps in periodic maintenance activities. Now, this capability is designed to automatically analyze management events from your cloud trail trails to establish a baseline for normal behavior and then raise issues by generating insight events when it detects unusual patterns. So this makes it really easy to be proactive about your environment because it understands what normal looks like and tells you when things are not normal. Another really interesting new announcement is Amazon CloudWatch Service Lens. This is a feature that enables you to visualize and analyze the health, performance, and availability of your applications in a single place. 
CloudWatch service lends ties together CloudWatch metrics and logs as well as traces from AWS X-Ray to give you a complete view of your applications and their dependencies. This lets you quickly pinpoint performance bottlenecks, isolate root causes of application issues and determine users impacted. A really interesting AWS organizations update, you can now use IAM to share your AWS resources with groups of AWS accounts in your AWS organization. So you can now reference the OUs, which are groups of AWS accounts in AWS organizations in your IAM policies. So this is really useful to manage things at scale. AWS Config has some more really useful updates. The first being conformance packs. A conformance pack helps you manage configuration compliance of your AWS resources at scale, from policy definition to auditing to aggregator reporting using a common framework and packaging model. Conformance packs are integrated with AWS organizations. So this integration means you can package a collection of AWS Config rules or remediation actions that can then be deployed together as a single entity across an entire organization. This is particularly useful if you need to establish a common baseline for resource configuration policies and best practices across multiple accounts in your organization in a scalable and efficient way. And there is now also a feature that enables you to perform configuration audit and compliance verification on third-party resources. You can now publish a configuration of third-party resources, things like GitHub repositories, Active Directory resources, or any on-premises server into AWS Config using our new API. If you're a user of AWS Systems Manager, there is a new Systems Manager Explorer. This is an operations dashboard that provides you with an at-a-glance graphical view of relevant operations data, such as EC2 instance summaries and their patch compliance. With Explorer, you can view operations data across your AWS accounts and regions to see where attention, investigation, and remediation may be needed. So it really is that abstraction layer that you've been looking for. And finally, an update for Amazon CloudWatch. There is now usage metrics and service quota integration. So usage metrics let you have visibility into resource and API utilization for your AWS services. And the, and the new metric math function lets you retrieve your most up-to-date quotas from service quotas as well. So you now have greater visibility into your service usage and you can now proactively manage your quotas far more easily. Moving on to media, there is now support for Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos encoding with AWS Elemental Media Convert. So this now enables Dolby Vision high dynamic range video encoding for better color, contrast and brightness on consumer display devices and support for Dolby Atmos audio encoding for immersive surround sound. Now media convert used in combination with these technologies from Dolby laboratories give video providers the ability to create a premium experience for consumers. Moving on to the topic of security, the Amazon Encryption SDK for JavaScript is now generally available. This is really exciting because this gives you an in-browser security capability that wasn't necessarily available easily before. So remember, this is a client-side encryption library designed to make it easy for everyone to encrypt and decrypt data using industry standards and best practices. So now it's available in C, Java, JavaScript, Python, and the command line interface. An update for AWS Systems Manager Parameter Store, it now has enhanced search capabilities to enable you to search for parameters easily by parameter name so you can find what's in there. Update for Amazon Guard Duty, it now supports exporting findings to an Amazon S3 bucket. So now if you wanna do further analysis or do your own third-party reporting or just keep it for long-term retention, you can export it into S3. The AWS Secrets Manager now supports larger sizes for secrets and resource policies and also supports a higher request rate for get secret the value APIs. So now you can have secrets of up to 10K, which means it's easier to manage secrets such as certificates that have a really long chain of trust. Uh, you can also have larger resource policies. So this is up to 20K and there is now a higher request rate. You can now have up to 1500 requests per second. Quick update for AWS Certificate Manager, Private Certificate Authority. It now enforces name constraints in imported CA certificates. So you can now control which names are allowed or prohibited in certificates issued from their private CAs. So this really allows you to have far better control over your environment and choose very specifically which certificates you want to issue. The AWS single sign-on capability has now increased its security posture with multi-factor authentication using authenticator apps. So now you can configure AWS SSO to require users to enter an authenticator-generated .p code in addition to their password. Really useful new IAM capability, you can now identify unused IAM roles easily and remove them confidently by using the last used timestamp. So this will allow you to report on the last timestamp when a role credential was used to make an AWS request. And once you identify them, you can determine if that's old and is not used anymore and you can delete it and not have to worry about it anymore. 
And a quick update for Amazon Cognito, it now supports sign-in with Apple. So this makes it really easy for customers who use Cognito for identity and authentication to reach a broad base of Apple users. It's available in Amazon Cognito user pools at the same cost as other social identity providers. Moving on to the topic of gaming, there is now the Amazon Linux 2 and new instance types for Amazon GameLift. So now you can create GameLift fleets backed by Amazon Linux 2, which means you can take advantage of the updates and upgrades of a more modern operating system. And you can also now run game servers on the next generation C5, M5 and R5 instances, which have a higher performance to cost ratio. A couple of new training updates. There is a new feature to enable visibility of employees' AWS certification completions. So if you're a partner organization, you can pull that data up automatically. And there's a new classroom course called Practical Data Science with Amazon SageMaker. Moving on to the topic of public data sets, there's a new service called AWS Data Exchange. Now we'll be doing a deep dive episode into this, but essentially it's a new service that makes it easy for millions of AWS customers to securely find, subscribe to, and use third-party data in the cloud. It's a very exciting service. Like I said, there's a special episode to come. Moving on to the topic of robotics, AWS RoboMaker now supports conditional over-the-air deployment. So this new feature allows you to specify a pre-check condition during deployment so you can have more granular control over the deployment process. So for example, you may say only uh, do an update if a certain level of battery is achieved. Moving on to the AWS Marketplace, it now offers syndicated product reviews. Now, what this means is that additional reviews will be added which are verified and authenticated user from G2. Now, G2 is a software review platform that will provide verified and authenticated reviews from users of the software sold on the AWS Marketplace. All reviews written on AWS Marketplace or sourced from G2 will be displayed on individual software seller detail pages with star ratings. So you can understand who's using the software and what they think of it. Moving on to the topic of quick starts, there are some new quick starts to deploy Citrix ADX VPX on AWS Cloud. There's a new quick start to deploy high trust architecture, which is the Health Information Trust Alliance Common Security Framework. So this architecture maps to certain technical requirements imposed by these high trust controls. There's also a new quick start to deploy Windows Server Update Services into AWS and a new one to deploy Data Sunrise with AWS Redshift as well. And moving on to the topic of satellites, AWS Ground Station is now available in the Middle East Bahrain region. So this expands the uh, footprint of Ground Station. And basically, AWS Ground Station is expanding to multiple geographic regions to ensure customers are served across the world. Ground Station is currently available in Oregon, Ohio, and Bahrain, and more regions will be coming soon. Well, wasn't that a massive list of updates? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty tuckered out after that. I hope you've enjoyed that. Now, the, the heads up is, is that the following episodes after this episode will, of course, be the reInvent specials. So I'll be publishing uh, at least two episodes, maybe even three. just depends on how the uh, week shakes out in terms of uh, things to share. And I hope you get a lot out of it. I know a lot of our listeners love to get those uh, daily updates of what's been going on. So I'll be working very hard on getting those out to you ASAP. So keep listening for that. Do tell others about the podcast. It's a great resource that many people don't know about. We'd love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.